thankful today for your promises and for your faithfulness that whatever you say we can trust and we can believe. And we're thankful that in this world of, of broken promises that we have one that will never leave us or forsake us, who will always keep his word to us. And now as we take that word that you have spoken and we open it up, we pray that you would speak to our hearts today, that you would remind us of your mercy and the calling that we have received to extend that mercy to others. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. And amen. I want to invite you to take your Bible to open with me to Matthew chapter 5. We'll be looking at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7 as we continue to walk through the Beatitudes, as we continue to uh, look at this series that I've titled Hashtag Blessed, because in the Beatitudes, what Jesus is showing us and what he is teaching us is truly how we can live a blessed life. Most people describe or define their blessings as things that happen to them, whereas Jesus shows us that we are blessed not just by what, by what happens to us, but by who is within us. Jesus was always more concerned with the internal than the external. That's not to say that he wasn't concerned about the external. He certainly was concerned about the things that we do and the words that we say and the, the activities in which we engage, but he was much more concerned with the internal because Jesus knew something that we need to be reminded of from time to time, and that is from the heart that springs the, uh, the, the activities of life. Who we are dictates what we do. Jesus knew that if he could change the inside of our lives, that the external activities would also be changed. That's really what he's getting at when he speaks these Beatitudes. This is at the front end of his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus wants external actions that come from internal character. For you see, Christianity is something that happens to us at the very center of our being, and from there it flows out of the activities of life. We, we see, as we move through this, these Beatitudes, we see a shift as we come to the fifth Beatitude about mercy, and hence I've titled the message this morning simply for us to have mercy. The first four Beatitudes, the ones that we've already looked at so far in this series, the first four are inner principles, dealing with how you see yourself before God. This fifth beatitude, while also being an inner attitude, begins to reach out and impact others. As we approach this idea of mercy, we move from our need to what we need to do. We're going to move from our belief to our behavior. We're going to move from our situation to our responsibility. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7. <clears throat> Very simply, he said these words. Blessed are the merciful, 
for they shall receive mercy. The person who's going to live the hashtag blessed life is a person who is merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Before we go any further, we need to define mercy as Jesus used it in this text. I found this uh, to be fascinating. I, I, to be honest, had never stumbled upon this until I was preparing to preach this sermon for, uh, for us today. But that word merciful that Jesus used uses in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7, that word merciful is used in that form in only one other place in Scripture. Only one other time does that word merciful appear as it's used. And I want you to see what it's used and, and, and how the, the connection that it's used in. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17 is the only other place in the Bible where that word merciful is used. And in Hebrews 2.17, it says this, therefore he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. What is striking about that is that the only other time that Jesus that the Bible uses that word merciful is in describing the sacrifice and the death of Jesus for us. So what that means is when we embrace Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7, when we are people who are merciful, we are acting in somewhat the same way that toward others that Jesus acted toward us when he died for our sins. Now, the verb mercy is found repeatedly throughout Scripture. And it basically what <clears throat> mercy means is this. Mercy is anything that you do that benefits someone in need. Okay, mercy is anything that you do that benefits someone in need. Mercy involves compassion, but it goes beyond it. Mercy involves sympathy, but it goes beyond it. Mercy is sympathy and compassion in action toward anyone in need. To be merciful means that you feel the pain of another person so deeply that you're compelled to do something about it. Mercy must move us. If it doesn't move us, it's not mercy. If we just feel sorry for someone, it's not mercy. If we just see someone in need and think, I hope somebody helps them, that's not mercy. Mercy moves us nowhere do we imitate God more than when we show mercy? Because we are never more like him than when our compassion goes into action. I want to make three statements about mercy this morning that I think will help us put this beatitude into practice. Three statements, and you'll have this message in just a few moments. First is this, mercy is mandated by the Word of God. 
Mercy is mandated by the word of God. There is no doubt, there can be no question that showing mercy to others is mandated by God's word. Listen, mercy is not just an expectation, it is an obligation for followers of Jesus. Therefore, if we do not extend mercy, we cannot say we're truly following Jesus. And we may go from preaching to meddling before it's all said and done. But we understand that to be like Jesus, we've got to be merciful. Jesus sums it up for us pretty simply. When he said in Luke 6.36, to be merciful. That's an expectation, it's an obligation to be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Mercy imitates God and frustrates the devil. Did you hear that? It imitates God and it frustrates the devil. It disappoints our enemy. And for time's sake, because I want us to be able to watch the Cowboys win tonight against uh, the Tom Brady and the Bucks. Uh, for, for time's sake, I don't have the time to go through all the, the, the verses on it, but just here's a small sampling we'll throw up on the screen for you about how Scripture reveals to us that mercy is mandated. Scripture shows us, for example, that it is mandated that we love mercy, according to Micah 6, 8, <clears throat> that we demonstrate mercy, that we respond to the fact that we have received mercy. Scripture mandates that we put on mercy. Scripture Scripture says that our default position should be one of mercy. Furthermore, on at least two occasions, different occasions, during his ministry, Jesus quoted an Old Testament verse, Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6, to show that mercy is mandated, that it's not an option. Now, you'll never guess who he had to explain this to. It wasn't the pagan lost people who who didn't have a concept of mercy. It was the religious church folk that couldn't get a grasp on mercy. And so twice, Jesus got a group of religious leaders together and and they were judging Jesus for spending so much time with sinners. And Jesus told them in Matthew 9, 13, he said, why don't you go and learn what this means? I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Later, the the Pharisees, that would have been the the religious folks. They would have been on the committees in the church. They would have been on staff. They'd have been the deacons. They'd have have been the people who worked in the church, and they were religious people, and and they tried to trick Jesus. They tried to to play the gotcha trick with Jesus when, when they supposedly caught the disciples out gathering grain on the Sabbath, which was a breaking of their rules, and, and they came and complained to Jesus, and Jesus responded, if you had known, Matthew chapter 12, verse 7, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Look, 
if the religious people of Jesus' day needed to learn that God desires and mandates mercy above any sacrifice that can be given, then I suspect we need to ask Jesus to teach us how to be merciful as well. And we will take a step toward being merciful when we remember that mercy is mandated by God's word. That's the first thing. Mercy is mandated by the word of God. Second, mercy is modeled by the Son of God. Okay, it's mandated by the Word of God, and it's modeled to us by the Son of God. If you want to see an example, a model of mercy, look at Jesus, the most merciful person who had ever lived. Jesus reached out to the sick, and he healed them. Mercy. He healed the eyes of the blind, mercy. The ears of the deaf, mercy. The mouths of the mute, mercy. Jesus found prostitutes and tax collectors and drew them in to the circle of his love and redeemed them and set them free from their sin. That was mercy. Jesus took the lonely and made them feel loved. Mercy. He took children and gathered them into his arms and loved them. That's mercy. One day, Jesus saw a funeral procession. It came by, and he saw a mother weeping because her son was dead. And she was already a widow, and now she had no child to care for her. So Jesus stood out and stopped the funeral procession, put his hand on the casket, and raised the child from the dead. Why? Mercy. And you know what his mercy got him? He got him killed. So you went to to think that mercy is going to be rewarded around us. <laughs> Jesus was the model of mercy, however, yet people screamed for his blood. If mercy carried its own reward, they would not have nailed him to the cross. <clears throat> From the very people to whom Jesus gave mercy, he received no mercy at all, yet he remained faithful to the mandate of mercy. And in so doing, he became our model for mercy. If you want to know what mercy looks like, look at Jesus. Mercy is mandated by the Word of God. We, that is our obligation. It is modeled by the Son of God. But number three, this is where we may meddle a little bit. Mercy is manifested by the people of God. Simply stated, if the world is going to see mercy... They are going to see it as it is manifested, as it is lived out by God's people, you and me. Hear me this morning, follower of Jesus. We are the vehicle through which mercy is delivered. As recipients of mercy, we must manifest, we must show mercy in our lives. How do we do that? I'm glad you asked. Because Jesus told a parable, and we're going to look at that parable over in Luke's gospel. 
<clears throat> Jesus told a parable that shows us what it looks like when mercy is in action. Now, the reason Jesus told the parable was that someone wanted a loophole. Sounds like us, doesn't it? They wanted to find a loophole in what they could or could not do or had to do for God. And they wanted to find this loophole in the command Jesus gave to love others so that he could know who he could love and who he could ignore. So this person asked Jesus a question, who is my neighbor? And from that question came the parable of the Good Samaritan. Flip in your Bibles. It'll be on the screen, but it's good to look at it in your Bible as well. Flip over in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Just a couple of books over from Matthew to Luke chapter 10. In just a second, we're going to read the parable of Good Samaritan. And as we read this parable, I'm going to show you the steps that we take to manifest mercy so you can leave this, this room, this building on this day, and you <coughs> can begin to show mercy because that's who Jesus said is blessed are those who are merciful because we receive mercy. Listen to this parable. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he, the lawyer, answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, the young lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, those are two religious people so far. A Levite, <clears throat> when he came to the place, by, uh, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who hated the Jews, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, or grape juice. Then he, oh, that's a Baptist church, right? <laughs> then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he, this Samaritan, took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. 
And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You go and manifest mercy in the world today. This parable gives us a picture of how mercy is manifested through our lives. I want to cover them real quick for you, okay? Step number one to being a merciful person. A merciful person recognizes a need. If mercy is going to be manifest, you must recognize a need. You must notice someone in need before you will do anything to meet that need. Now the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, they all saw the man with their eyes, but only one of them perceived that this person was in trouble. And what is striking to me about this is that these two religious men had come from the presence of God, but somehow God's presence never got through to them. I could preach a whole sermon on how we can gather in God's presence in church, but God's presence never enters our lives and flows out. But that's a different sermon for a different time. The Samaritan, however, had a notion that something was wrong, and he slowed down. He perceived that there was a need. Let me ask you, people who have received mercy from God, do you see the needs around you? I'm going to challenge you to do something this week, and I want you to do it every day of this week. When you wake up, I'm serious, I want you to do this. I'm going to do it, I want you to do it. When you wake up, I want you to pray, Lord, help me see people through your eyes today. And when you pray that prayer, you will be astonished at the needs that you see. When you pray that prayer, Lord, help me see people through your eyes today. When you see that person at the exit of the interstate begging for food, Someone's preaching a sermon. Listen to Joel Osteen back there. I can hear it on the, on the phone. When you make that your prayer and you see that person, you won't think, what that dummy do to get in that situation? You'll think there's a person for whom Jesus died. He hadn't been shown mercy. I need to show him mercy. When you come across someone as you leave church, and you'll, this will happen every few weeks. And someone comes across a parking lot, a neighbor in our community, and they ask for a little bit of money to help them buy some milk or some toilet paper. If you prayed this prayer, it'll change how you look at them. You won't look and think, well, they're just here at this church because there's a bunch of Jesus people wanting money. You'll think, here's a person who has a need. They need mercy. Do you see the needs around you? That's the first step in becoming a person who manifests mercy is to recognize a need. Step number two, a merciful person feels moved to respond to that need. You see, all three of these people in this parable, that they saw the man in need, but only the Samaritan felt the need. He had compassion for the man. The Samaritan was shaken up when he saw that that person was beaten down. Step three, a merciful person acts upon the feeling to respond 
to the need. Look at what it says back in our, in our parable in verse 34. It says, he, that Samaritan, went to him. True mercy always involves motion. It always involves action. Yes, it involves emotion, but emotion then leads to motion, leads to action. Some people see a need and shake their head. Some people feel bad for those in pain. Merciful people move to meet the needs that they see. And step four, a merciful person does whatever it takes to meet the need. When the Samaritan had a notion that something was wrong, he was moved in his emotions. He took action, and then he demonstrated devotion as he met the needs by bandaging that man's wounds, by putting him on his own donkey, which meant that that Samaritan had to walk if he put the injured man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, took care of him. The next day, that Samaritan gave the innkeeper two silver coins, which represented two's two days worth of wages and promised to come back and take care of any extra expenses. This good Samaritan was willing to do whatever it took to meet the need in front of him even at his own expense. That's mercy. You know who else that sounds like? That sounds like Jesus. It was Jesus who recognized our need. It was Jesus who felt moved to respond to that need. It was Jesus who acted upon that feeling to respond to the need. It was Jesus who did whatever it took to meet that need, even at the cost of his life. Your neighbor is anyone in need, and you are a neighbor when you manifest mercy to those in need. Mercy always demands that we do something. If we just feel something, it's not mercy. If we just wish something, it's not mercy. Mercy always demands that we do something. And it just makes sense that it would be the people of God who manifest mercy in the world today because it is the people of God who have received mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This is the only beatitude where the promise is the same as the condition. Those who are merciful shall receive mercy. And the more we understand how much mercy we have received, the more we will give mercy to others. The more mercy we will show, the more we will realize how much mercy we have received from God. It's just a cycle that works that way. We show mercy. It reminds us of how much mercy we receive from God, and we want to show mercy to other people around us. I've got some good news for you this morning, some great news for you. The God who created this world and the God who created you is a God who is full of mercy for those who are in need. And you and I are in need. 
I love what the prophet Micah said. He was so overwhelmed at the mercy, the compassion, the forgiveness of God. He declared in Micah chapter 7, verses 18 through 19, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression from the remnant of his inheritance? He, God, does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. That's mercy. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Our God is a God who is rich in mercy. And I simply have two questions for you today as we wrap things up. Are you a recipient of God's mercy? Has there been a time in your life when you cried out to God, have mercy on me? In other words, has there been a time in your life when you have confessed your sins to God, repented of those sins, and asked Jesus to save you, to send his mercy to you? And then I want to ask you this question. For those of us who have received God's mercy, have you shown to others the mercy God has shown to you? I'm going to admit that question makes me uncomfortable because I know how I have to answer. Have you, as a follower of Jesus, given to others the mercy? That God has shown to you. If you're here this morning and you answered that first question, have you received God's mercy? If you have not, then today the wonderful news is that you can receive that mercy. It's, it's there for, for you to receive. God has plenty of it. And those mercies that He has, it's new every morning. Every day He's full of mercy. If you'll cry out to him as best you know how in confession and repentance, he'll send his grace and he'll send his mercy to you. In just a few minutes, I'm going to pray. And if you've never received God's mercy, as I pray, just tune me out and just pretend it's you and God and, and, and just you and God and, and spend a few minutes asking God to save you, confessing your sin receiving his mercy and for those of us here in this room who have already received the mercy of God may I suggest that our next step might be to do some repentance of our own to repent for not showing the mercy that we've received from God to others You know what's going to change this world? I'll tell you what, it not, what will not change the world. A Democrat or a Republican, an Independent, no matter who we stick in an Oval Office, will not change this world. 
because political action is not the answer. Protesting and griping and complaining and standing our ground, whatever, those, those things, that's not going to change this world. Education reform, as, as much as, as we might need that, that may, may help some situations, but it's not going to change. What's going to change the world is the people of God who have received mercy, showing mercy to the world. This world is hungry for Jesus. They need to see him through us. And it's not your job to worry about whether or not your spouse is showing mercy. It's not your job to worry about whether your your kinfolk are showing mercy. It's not your job to worry about if the person sat beside you showing mercy. Your job as a recipient of the mercy of God is for you to show mercy. So my challenge to you today is to pray to God during this time of commitment, to ask him to open your eyes. And when you see the needs around you, to show mercy and to meet the needs. Because that's just what Jesus has done for me. Father, I thank you today that God, who is rich in mercy, has extended that mercy to me. Father, I pray if there's one here in this room today who has never received mercy, that even now as we prepare for this time of commitment, that they would at this moment simply cry out to you, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Father, I pray for those of us who have received mercy already, Maybe we have not been very faithful in showing it. Lord, would you help us see people through your eyes? May we not be like the priest. May we never be like that Levite. May we be like that Samaritan and simply show mercy. That is how we will show our world Jesus. And I pray that I'd be faithful to show him in my life. Have your will and your way with us today. Whatever you're calling us to do, may we simply say yes. In Jesus' name, amen.